You're listening to Biceps After Babies Radio, episode 285. Hello, and welcome to Biceps After Babies Radio, a podcast for ladies who know that fitness is about so much more than pounds lost or PRs. It's about feeling confident in your skin and empowered in your life. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, a registered nurse, personal trainer, wife, and mom of four. Each week, my guests and I will excite and motivate you to take action in your own personal fitness as we talk about nutrition, exercise, mindset, personal development, and executing life with conscious intention. If your goal is to look, feel, and be strong and experience transformation from the inside out, you, my friend, are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to another episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, and today's podcast is going to be, it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a big topic because we are talking about a large topic, which is supplements. And I mean, we could do multiple hours on this topic because there are a lot of supplements out there and there are a lot of brands wanting you to buy their supplements. And uh, so my goal is to make this a uh, more condensed, easily consumable, don't have to have a science degree to be able to get the gist of some of the most common supplements that people are taking in their fitness journey. And if it's really worth spending your hard-earned cash on these supplements. Now, I will say that I recorded two podcast episodes about supplements back in the day. So episode 60 and 61, I did a part one and a part two of supplements. Uh, but I wanted to re-record this episode and kind of update it a little bit. Um, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, research changes. And I think it's good always to be on the, on the up and up with the most current research. Number two is even, you know... At, well, I will just say I change <laughs> and my understanding and my experience with clients changes. And so I don't have some of the same opinions that I had, you know, several years ago. And I think we as humans should be evolving in our understanding of things. And so I wanted to re-record this episode, kind of give you the most up-to-date information on supplements, what I'm recommending, what I'm not recommending, what the research says. Also special for this episode, we have created a free supplement download. So I'm going to be talking about a lot of things in this episode and it it's easy to get overwhelmed. And so I wanted to make a concise document that you could download that would kind of summarize everything that I'm going to say in a document. So if you want that document, you can either go to bicepsunderbabies.com forward slash 285. That's the show notes for this episode. Or you can go to bicepsunderbabies.com forward slash supplements. Uh, either way will take you to be able to get that free download. And we have a very special segment that I am inviting a very special guest on uh, for this, this episode. And that very special guest is none other than my gorgeous, amazing, talented, super smart, super sciencey husband, Taylor Brzezicki. Dr. Wow. Taylor Brzezicki. Ah, there. Oh, there. That's me. That's me. There it is. <laughs> so, okay. Let me give you a little bit of backstory. When I was going, uh, I created a whole notes and I did a lot of research for this podcast episode. And as I was doing that, and I, and I was going through and reading some of the literature and some of the um, uh, meta-analyses and the, the um, information that is out there right now on supplements, I, I took a step back and I said, you know what? I want people to 
not, not get a degree in science, not have to be able to, you know, be able to read research, but I want the lay person to be able to understand a little bit more about research. Cause I think for a lot of people who are not in the science field, reading peer reviewed research is very intimidating and people don't understand it. And so when somebody says to you online, and I see this a lot of times when people will say the words, well, the research says, or research (laughs) suggests, and you're like, okay, but we can actually check that. We can actually go and see what the research says. But I think a lot of people just hear the words research says, and they just immediately assume that that person is being honest and, and, you know, communicating what research actually says. And I don't think that you have to do that. I don't think that you have to take somebody's opinion online as gospel truth. I think you as a consumer can go out and learn a lot your own without having to get a degree in, in science. I guess it was my point. So anyway, to all to like wrap that story up, I wanted to start this conversation about supplements with just a small, little, just a little, little bit of talk about research. And so as I was going through and making my outline, I kept coming back to, you know, who is going to be the best person to describe this and talk about this? <laughs> my husband. <laughs> because, while, research for a little while. <laughs> yeah, because while I have read research and I learned how to read research in nursing school, and I feel somewhat confident in being able to read through a research project and um, paper, it's nowhere near the level that my husband's at. <laughs> um, as, as somebody, if you go search his name on PubMed, how many published uh oh, I, don't, I don't know maybe 25 or something like that okay so if you go look up our last name there's a lot of research that is published on pubmed that has been published in journals that you're the author on so mm-hmm. <laughs> to say that you understand research you've done research you've written research papers you have do a lot of peer review for other research papers right there's always like journals reaching out to you to do peer review of their articles it's true you are the person that we're going to come to. Oh man, I'm feeling the, the pressure here. This, I'm going to have to like step up my game to make this easy. So again, we're not. This is going to be a short segment, and then you can sign off, and then I'll finish out the the podcast episode. But I do want to have anybody who's listening to this podcast episode leave feeling a little bit more comfortable that they understand when people talk about peer reviewed research, or they say the research suggests this about a supplement. What the heck are we talking about, and why does it matter? So are we cool with that? Are you? Sounds awesome. Yeah. Are you, are you ready to share some of your wisdom and your knowledge? Okay. (laughs) Loving it. Okay. Where do you want to start? Well, I might just respond. I I might just respond to what you said about what what the quote research says. Like, I think one thing that's really important to understand about research is that there's no one answer. You know, we'd like to think that research comes out and says, this is the answer. And we've even figured everything else out. But if you think about science in general, we're constantly learning, constantly evolving. And you kind of alluded to this early or earlier, but like think about gravity. It's still a theory. There's a theory of gravity. Even though every time I drop my bag on the floor, it hits the ground, it's still called a theory because maybe someday we'll understand it better. So I think that's probably where I would start is that research means that we're trying to get better at understanding something. It doesn't mean, yes, I know exactly what is going on now and I can hang every hat I ever had on that nail because we know it to be true. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's really, yeah, that's really important to understand. Um, And that kind of leads us into uh, the levels of research too. So maybe you want to start there and just talk about, because if (laughs) I will say you can find quote unquote research to support like 
any position that you want to take. I'm sure that there mm-hmm. is a there is a research paper out there that can support almost anything that you want to say, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it is the highest quality. It doesn't mean it is the most peer reviewed. It doesn't mean it is like the the thing that we should be taking as um, our, our best understanding of that. I don't know. Right. That yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way of putting it. It's like, what's our best understanding of this topic today? Yes. And so, you know, that gets us down into like talking about different types of research. Um, so some research is what we would call observational. That means that we kind of just took a look around and we saw what was happening and somebody was scientific enough about it to like take detailed notes and come up with very, you know, clear explanations of things. Um, but this is not the best type of research, right? A stronger type of research would be something that was controlled, something that was prospective. And so let me give you two examples. So an observational study tends to be retrospective. It doesn't have to be, but tends to be looking backwards in time. So for example, if I wanted to do a study on, you know, does sunburn, does uh, sunscreen prevent a sunburn? An observational way of doing that would be to look back in time and say, oh, you five people that got sunburns, how many of you wore sunscreen? And um, then just see how many of them, you know, got burned versus didn't get burned. And that's what's called an observational study because you know, it happened. And now we have to look back and just kind of keep an eye on it. And, and that's that's what happened. And we're just trying to figure out what it was. Whereas a controlled study would be, generally speaking, proactive, prospective. Uh, I'm going to take these 50 people that are all going to go out in the sun. Half of them are going to get sunscreen. Half of them are not going to get sunscreen. And then we're going to see how many of these people burn. And at the end of the study, we'll all be pretty darn confident already that the people that wear sunscreen aren't going to burn. And so we can come to this conclusion that says that sunscreen keeps us from having sunburns. But if you go at that from the observational perspective and you just ask the people that got sunburned, how many of you wore sunscreen? Well, what if they didn't reapply after an hour? Or what if they um, didn't wait the 30 minutes you're supposed to you know, go uh, you know, stay dry before you got in the sun. Or they didn't so use that, enough. Or they didn't <laughs> or, use enough. Yeah. Or they exactly. thought they put it on themselves, but they actually put it on their kids and like, right. And then they like missed the back or something like that because nobody told them that you had to put it everywhere and you know, whatever. So that's what we call bias. Um, and observational studies have a lot of potential bias. Randomized controlled trials, prospective studies, um, minimize that bias. And we want res- good research has the least amount of bias in it that's possible. Um, there are other types of studies out there, correlational studies, like, for example, um, how many people that smoke end up getting lung cancer. So you can't really like randomize you are going to smoke and you are not going to smoke and see how many people end up getting you know, lung cancer down the line. But you can look at a bunch of people that have lung cancer and a bunch of people that don't bunch of people that smoke and a bunch of people that don't and you can draw correlations between the two um and there's cross-sectional studies so there's different types of research i guess is the key takeaway point um to just kind of boil it down and and some of them have a higher risk for bias and consequently some of them have a stronger ability to say yes I, i really believe this yes this really makes sense yes this group of people really represents myself or the group of people that i care about and there, there's a reason for each of these types of research. It's, we're not saying that like all, you know, um, retrospective studies are a waste of time. Oftentimes research gets started as some sort of retrospective studies. Hey, we're kind of noticing this pattern. Let's mm-hmm. do a more prospective study. Let's control for as many factors as possible and see if that actually plays out in a, in a controlled study. So there's a place for all of these, all of these types of research. However, when we're talking about 
how ironclad they are or how much we should buy in and take the results as um, meaning something. We're really looking for those more prospective, those more um, randomized, controlled. You'll hear these words like randomized, controlled, uh, placebo, double-blind placebo. Will you explain all of those words so that so people <laughs> sure. know what those those words all mean? Yeah. So randomized means that you're, you know, if you have a hundred people that you're going to give this supplement to, you're going to randomize half of them to get, or it's generally 50, 50, but you're going to randomize half of them to get the supplement and half of them not. That means if you decided to enroll in this study, somebody would essentially flip a coin. And if it was heads, you got the supplement. If it was tails, you did not get the supplement. You probably got a placebo. So placebo is a sugar pill. It's something that doesn't actively have a, actually have an active ingredient. Um, so that's what a randomized controlled trial, a randomized controlled placebo trial is. Um, the control just means like I controlled for it. I told you you had to take the, the, the medicine, you know, at eight o'clock every day in this kind of a format, you know, so that we could actually measure and follow out what happened afterwards. And so. then double blind. So then blinding refers to whether the person that's making the observation meaning the research coordinator that's like reporting, uh, you know, the outcome is aware of what intervention the person got. So that's a lot of words. So um, let me break it down. So like, let's say I'm taking a uh, supplement that's supposed to make me get stronger, you know, presumably makes me get stronger. Right. And so um, I get the, I get this medicine and Amber gets a placebo and we both enroll in a study the person that's watching me do my squats, you know, six weeks later or whatever it is that's measuring how strong I am, um, can't know what, whether I got the placebo or the real pill. Because if she knows that I got the real pill, she might look at me and be like, yeah, that looks like a pretty, that, that squat went all the way to depth. Yep, definitely went all the way to depth, right? Because there's a little bit of subjectivity. There's bias. In. That's right. There's subjectivity in the assessment always, even in the most you know, well-designed studies. And so blinding means the person that's writing down the outcome, figuring out whether it worked or didn't work, doesn't know whether the person got the thing that they were supposed to get or not. That's really good. So when I'm looking for and reading research, right, when I go and do research for a podcast episode like this or recommendations I'm going to recommend to my clients, when I'm going and reading research, I'm trying to look for what, you know, TJ's saying is like, I'm trying to look for randomized controls trials. I'm mm-hmm. trying to look for large population um, or large, like N, N of sample size. Number, sample size. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So uh, the smaller the sample size and, and a lot of research projects will start out this. They'll start out with a sample size of like 13 people. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. let's test this on ter- 13 people and see if we get any correlation. And then, cause it costs a lot of money to do research. So let's try it on 13 people, see if we see anything. And if so, we'll, we'll do a bigger sample size and a bigger sample size and a bigger sample size. And some of these like behemoth, you know, research, like 10 year long research projects will have like 50,000 people in it. And when you have a sample size that large, you're able to see a lot more than a sample size of just 13 people. So I'm always looking at what is the sample size? Is it a randomized control trial? Um, and you know, the more it's randomized, the more it has a bigger sample size, the more I'm believing what it says. And then another thing I'm looking for are meta-analyses. So will you explain what a meta-analysis is? Yeah, I'll do. I will. I also want to add to that about sample size. One of the values of sample size is that you are more likely to be reflected in the study population, meaning 
you want this drug or whatever it is you're ex experimenting to apply to you, right? Like it's really helpful for me if I'm trying to decide whether to take something to know if it's been studied in other 42 year old males, um, then it is to know that it's only ever been trialed in, uh, you know, uh, girls or women or something that don't have the same kind of hormonal makeup that I do, right? And so the larger sample size tends to um, help you reduce that chance that you're going to be reading about something that doesn't have something to do with you. But if you want to take it just a half step further, what you're really going to want to look at is the demographics of the people that are in the study. How old were they in general? Did they have, were they menopausal or not? Were they mostly men? Were they mostly women? And does that reflect the type of person that you are so that you can see if that stuff applies to you? So um, a meta-analysis is a collection of studies, right? So um, we've talked so far about observational studies. We've talked about controlled studies. And these are just one study, right? Like I decided as a researcher, I was going to go try to answer this single question. And I just went out and did my one study and I published my results. Might have interviewed 10,000 people, but it was still just one study. A meta-analysis is the combination of a bunch of studies, right? And so this is like... Um, you know, it's like if somebody took, like, let's say you're trying to go to a restaurant and you're trying to figure out who's got the best tacos in town. If somebody went to Yelp and pulled like all of the reviews of all the different taco places and gave you like a, a summary statement that said like, of all the taco places in Orange County, these are the way these little things like stack up because each restaurant has 150 reviews about it, right? And so there's a, there's like a combination of large amounts of data from multiple sources and that's going to provide the highest level of, of evidence that we have. Any one study, no matter how well designed, might have bias in it, might have a population that doesn't necessarily exactly apply to you, might have, you know, a, a, a different version of the drug or something like that in it. Whereas a meta-analysis is going to try to, you know, sift through all that stuff and combine all those, you know, informations into one place so that you can get a high-level summary of, um, of the data. Awesome. That's great. So yeah, I'm often looking for what is the, what is the meta-analysis? What is the compilation of all the research about this one supplement? And we're, we're taking, they're taking all of it and they're looking at it all together. What does that say? Because that's, mm -hmm. that's pointing us again, like you said at the beginning, we can't ever say definitively that this is the way it is, or it will never change, but we can say in our general understanding of it, as as of now is is pointing us in this direction and and the meta analysis really helps you to be able to know where science is pointing currently yeah i like this it's like research is a conversation and meta analysis is like the cliff notes of the conversation right yeah. it's like right somebody's now. kind of taking a big summary of where we're at today and yeah, so this good. is the best we got yeah. And so um, one of the things that I, I want to offer to people, again, I, I want to make research a little less scary so that people feel empowered that when somebody says something online that you have, maybe like you're scratching your head and wondering if that's true, that you can do a little bit of your own research to kind of either debunk it or back it up. And so one of the uh, websites that I like to use a lot that's free and available to everybody is Google Scholar. Mm -hmm. It's, it is a compilation of a lot of research studies. You can't read them all because some of them are behind firewalls, but a lot of them, at least the abstract or the overview of the article is not behind a firewall. And you can put any keywords into Google Scholar, Google Scholar, and it will pull up the research articles that are about that topic. You have another one that you like a lot. 
Uh, well, PubMed.org is where I, you know, most of my stuff uh, lands, but it just kind of depends on what you're trying to study because uh, there are different, you know, places for different types of research. But PubMed is really great for biomedical research, which most of the people that are listening to this podcast would be interested in. Uh, and Google Scholar is a great one, too. So it doesn't have to be complex, but even just going on Google Scholar and typing in creatine (laughs) and hitting go, you'll see a bunch of research articles that will pop up. And again, we're looking for large sample size. We're looking for meta-analysis. We're looking for randomized control uh, trials. And you can click on them and it will will show you at least the abstract, which again is the overview. The abstract is going to give you the overview of the research project. And you can learn a lot from just reading those. And so by clicking on a few of those articles, you're going to get a sense, again, looking for those keywords that I said, you're going to get a kind of a sense of what is the research pointing to right now when it comes to creatine. Yeah. And I think my takeaway, you know, you know, summary statement to folks that might not be researchers or have any particular inclination and really getting deep into the weeds is it's like the 80-20 rule, right? Like if you just put in a little bit of work, a little bit of looking, a little bit of research, you get, you know, 80% of what you need. You certainly don't need to dive deep into the weeds if that's not your interest. But it, it is worth, I think, a little bit of time to just kind of uh, educate yourself if, if you're trying to figure things out instead of just taking other people's words for it. That's awesome. All right. Well, thanks, hon. Thanks for coming and helping yeah, us learn to be fun. a little bit better at research. Okay. So I just made an executive decision when I finished with my husband and I decided that I'm going to break this into two episodes. Like it's just going to get too long if we don't do it that way. So this episode, we're going to talk about, we talked about research. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the FDA regulations when it comes to supplements, because that's really important to understand. It's not boring. I promise. We'll make it exciting. Uh, And then I'm going to talk about the top three well-supported supplements that I 100% recommend. So we'll do that today in this podcast episode. Next week, we will talk about some of the more uh, like ancillary supplements that you hear a lot about, or you hear, you know, recommended to people, or you see when you go to the supplement store. Um, We'll talk more about those other types of supplements in next week's podcast episode. It's just going to get too long if we try to do it all together. So that's what we're going to do executive decision made. So, uh, we talked about research. Hopefully you're feeling a little bit, well, you at least understand research a little bit more. Cause I feel like people say, Oh, I read the research or I know about research or the research says again, that like research isn't a monolith. There's a lot of aspects to research. And I think just having a little bit more understanding of the field of research, what it means, the different terminology that you'll hear tossed around can be really helpful to helping you feel a little bit more empowered when you're making these decisions about where to spend your money. Again, this is supplements cost money. And so I don't know about you, but I want to return on my investment. If I'm going to spend money on something, I want to make sure that it's going to actually do something for me. I don't want to be you know, wasting money on things that aren't actually supported in the research, that they're not going to actually do anything for my body. And unfortunately, and this is where we get into regulations, unfortunately, a lot of supplements don't do squat for your body. And you may be like, well, then how can they sell them, Amber? Well, here's the thing. Supplements are not regulated by the FDA. So the Food and Drug Administration, we hear that and we think, oh, they make sure that our food is safe, they make sure that our drugs work, and that they do what they're supposed to do, so that should include supplements. But it actually doesn't. Supplements are outside of FDA regulations, meaning a supplement company doesn't have to prove anything to anybody in order to slap a label on a supplement bottle and sell it to you. 
They don't have to do any research studies. They don't have to prove anything. They don't even have to prove that what they say on the label is what's in the bottle, which is a little scary if you ask me. Like they can literally say ABC is in the bottle and they can put XYZ in the bottle. It's just not regulated. There's no oversight. There's no regulation when it comes to the the supplement world. And so as a consumer, you have to be aware of that and recognize that if you want to spend your money on something, you want to make sure that it's one, it's going to do something for your body, that the research supports it actually does something. And two, that you're getting what the brand says that you're getting. So then how can we as consumers empower ourselves to be able to make those decisions? Well, one, we can understand the research, which is what we're going to talk about here. We can understand what is well supported with research and what has very little to no research that people are still trying to sell, but that research doesn't support that it does anything. And then two, I really like the company and I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but the company Labdoor. So Labdoor is a third party testing site. Basically what they do is supplements, they're third party, meaning they're not associated with any supplement company, but companies can pay to have them test their supplements. And then Labdoor posts all of their ratings and reviews online for people to see. So you can go to labdoor.com and you can type in a supplement, a brand, uh, a product of a certain brand. And Labdoor has done their own third party testing and review of that. And they'll tell you, is the dosage that the supplement company says is in this product, is it actually the accurate dosage? Are, are they accurately reporting that? Are the ingredients that they say are in this product, are they actually in the product? And so I like to use Labdoor a lot when I'm trying to decide about supplements to buy and which brands to be able to trust. I go to Labdoor because at least I'm getting some sort of third-party testing to know what it is that I'm getting. Now, when we're talking about conflicts of interest, whenever you do a research project, you're always supposed to announce whatever things could be like a conflict of interest for you. So it is really important for me to share with you that I am a affiliate for Legion Supplements. And I did not come by this willy-nilly. Many of you know that for years I was an affiliate for Ideal Lean and I loved their products and I was with them for years and years. But recently their, their business has been shutting down. They aren't selling as many products. And I've had a lot of people come to me being like, what's the deal? I can't even get protein from them anymore. So this has led me on about a year search of trying different supplements, trying different brands, trying different companies to find a supplement brand that I feel really good standing behind and sharing with my followers and with my clients. And that is Legion. Um, I've actually used Legion supplements since about 2017. Uh, I found their pre-workout back in 2017 and I have used it religiously since then. So I am familiar with the brand. I've used it since 2017, but I did my due diligence. I didn't just say, oh, I'm just going to hop to Legion. I tried a bunch of different protein supplements. I tried a bunch of different brands and I came back to Legion and I came back to Legion for a couple of reasons. Reason number one is that they taste phenomenal. And I know that there's a lot of things that we need to be thinking about when it comes to supplements. And there are other important things I'm going to talk about. But for me, like if it doesn't taste good, I'm not going to use it. And that's one of the reasons that I loved Ideal Lean so much is their protein powder was delicious. And I wanted to find a brand that I that just tasted just as good and had a lot of other features. But I, I mean, it has to taste good if I'm going to actually use it. And I uh, 
like I can hands down vouch for all of the flavors that I have tried have been delicious. Their protein powder is delicious. It mixes up really well. The flavors are bomb. I haven't had a flavor that I don't like yet. Um, and and the second thing that I really love about their their product, and this is this is what led me to Legion back in 2017, as I was doing research about supplements and figuring out what pre workout I wanted to take, is that they do not have any proprietary supplements, proprietary blends. So remember how I mentioned how. Uh, the FDA has no oversight when it comes to supplements. So one of the things, one of the tricky things that supplement companies will do is they will kind of obfuscate what is in their supplements. So they will give you a pre-workout and they will, when you read the ingredients, it will say proprietary blend and they won't tell you what's in that proprietary blend. Um, And so you don't know how much caffeine is in there. I mean, oftentimes they'll tell you the caffeine, but like things like beta alanine, things like um, L-citrulline, like these other ingredients, they'll say that maybe it's in the product, but they won't tell you how much is in the product because they can hide behind this like quote unquote proprietary blend. It's proprietary information. We can't tell you how much is in because people are going to copy it. And that's a bunch of BS because what happens is supplement companies tend to underdose the more expensive supplements. So <laughs> certain certain uh, supplements, like let's say creatine, is not a very expensive supplement, but beta alanine gets pricey. And so supplements will say, hey, we have beta alanine in our product, but it's under this proprietary blend. So you don't know how much beta alanine is in there. And they will actually have a substandard amount, a substandard dose of beta alanine. So they can say, we have beta alanine in our product. We're not telling you how much. And what they do is they then underdose because what happens is that saves them money as a supplement company and they can make more money because they don't have to spend as much money on the beta alanine. Anyway, it's a big problem in the, in the supplement industry. I will never buy anything that has any proprietary blend because as a consumer, I think I deserve to know what is in my supplement and I deserve to know the dosage that is in my supplement. So I stay, stay far away from anything with a proprietary blend. And one of the things I love about Legion is there's no proprietary blends. They tell you exactly what are in their supplements and each of the dosages are research back dosages. Meaning again, some supplements will underdose things like beta alanine in order to save money. Legion doesn't do that. They give a a standard dose, a research supported dose, right? Because there's been research done on how, how much beta alanine is good. You know, where do we get to the point where it's enough beta alanine? Where do we get to the point that's too much beta alanine? Where do we get to the point that it's not enough? And research, there's been a lot of research that shows a good dose of beta alanine to get the maximum effect. And Legion makes sure to put the research supported dose into the product. And that to me is really important. Again, it costs a little bit more for the supplement company to do that. But I want, if I'm going to be taking beta alanine, why would I want to take less than the recommended amount? right? It doesn't make any sense. And then the third reason that I really love them, and this is, I'm not, I don't know, this is not as big of a deal to me, but it is to some people. And that is that they don't use any artificial sweeteners um, or any artificial ingredients. And I know one of the things when I was supporting um, Ideal Lean is people didn't like the ingredients that they had. And so all, all of the ingredients in uh, Legion supplements are all natural. There's no artificial sugars or sweeteners in the products or, or artificial flavorings or colors. Um, and a lot of people, that's a big deal to them. And so again, I feel really good supporting a supplement company that tastes good, that 
doses their their products well that is backed on Labdoor. If you go check them out on Labdoor, um, they have really great ratings and they don't have artificial sweeteners or um, ingredients. And to me, it's like a win-win-win all the way around. So I am an affiliate with Legion. And if you use my code BAB, so B-A-B, stands for Biceps After Babies, you save 20% on your first order, and then you get double points after that. So Legion gives you points that you can then spend on product, and you get double points after that. So I just want to get out the, that out there because that is a little bit of like a conflict of interest that I think it's important that you as a consumer know about. Now, most of what I'm going to be talking about in the rest of this episode is not brand specific. So I'm going to be talking about creatine. I'm going to be talking about protein powder. I'm going to be talking about um, caffeine. And none of those are necessarily brand specific. But I do think it's important that you know that I am an affiliate and that I affiliate with a, with a brand that I stand behind and that I support. And if you want to you know, try a really great brand and continue to support the podcast and what I'm doing, then feel free to use BAB at checkout when you go buy your Legion supplements. And I do get a kickback from that, um, but I fully stand behind and support their brand because it is an amazing, an amazing brand. Okay. So the rest of this podcast episode, we are going to talk about what I like to call the big three. These are the three supplements that are well-supported. There's tons of research on them. It's very obvious that they work, that they are effective, that they are low risk. And I mean, if you're on some sort of fitness journey, adding these supplements into your regimen, if you're going to add any supplements, now, of course, you do not have to add any supplements, but if you're going to add any supplements into your regimen, these are the three, the top three that you should be adding. Now, before we go dive into which what three of those are, I do want to take a step back and um, reiterate what I just said, which is that supplements are never necessary. They're never a requirement. They are never the make or break for somebody in their fitness journey. I like to use a pyramid, and I call it the hierarchy of nutrition, to describe what is most important to what is least important when it comes to the results that you're getting. A lot of times I see people relying on these little tiny rocks. <laughs> They're like trying to throw these little tiny rocks into the pool to raise the level of the water rather than focusing on the big boulders that we could throw in to raise the level of the water. So like the big boulders would be your food, your um, your workouts, your recovery, your stress reduction, your sleep. These are big, big boulders in your journey. Like they, if you can really focus on getting more sleep, like that's going to do a ton for your results. The problem is, is a lot of people try to focus on things that are higher up the hierarchy of nutrition. They try to focus on things like when should I eat what foods, like meal timing, um, or should I eat within a certain window of of opportunity? Um, doesn't it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter as much as what you're eating, <laughs> your nutrition that matters a ton. When you eat it, matters way less. And supplements really fall into that category as well. Is, is supplements aren't going to make or break you. Supplements are like the little extra oomph towards your goals. Uh, I w recently watched, there's a new documentary on, 
think it's on Netflix, about Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's a three-part documentary. It talks about his bodybuilding career. It talks about his acting career. And it talks about his um, career as a politician, as the governor of California. Which, by the way, my kids were floored. They had no idea that Arnold Schwarzenegger was was previously the governor of California. That was funny to see their faces when they heard that. But we watched the episode of his bodybuilding career and he talks about, he talks very openly about the fact that he did steroids. And he also mentions, he said, you know, maybe 5% of my results came from steroids. Uh, The other 95% was, I mean, there's a lot of hard work that goes into building a physique like his, whether or not you take steroids. So he, he recognized that yes, steroids do help. They do provide that like extra 5%, but it cannot nor it can't ever replace the 95% of the hard work, the nutrition, the time in the gym, the reps, you know, all the rest and recovery, everything else that he was doing. So it gives you him like a little bit of a boost. And obviously when you're trying to be the best of the best, a 5% boost will help, but it's never going to make or break you. And it's the same thing with supplements is people like to drop a lot of money on supplements because, well, sometimes it's easier to spend money than it is to count your macros. Um, (laughs) just being honest, but in the long run, doing things like spending money on food or spending money on a meal service or spending money on a gym membership that you frequently use is likely going to produce a better result than dropping a bunch of money on a bunch of different, you know, fat burning supplements or whatever. So supplements can give you that extra percentage, you know, one to two to maybe 5% towards your results, but it's never going to be the foundation. So I think that's really important. I never have clients add supplements until they have they have their foundation. You're eating well, you're exercising, you're sleeping, you've worked on your stress reduction. Okay, we got the foundation in place. Okay, now we can play around with like adding these other supplements and seeing you know, what else we can eke out. But you gotta get your foundation in order first. Okay, so that's my, my little aside. So let's talk about the big three. Now, these big three are probably big enough that even if you don't have everything else zeroed down, like there's enough evidence to support these as worthy of investment for virtually anybody who is on a fitness journey. And that is pre-workout, caffeine, and creatine. Those are the three. And sometimes we'll combine caffeine with like pre-workout, but really it's like the caffeine in the pre-workout because we're going to talk about other pre-workout Uh, ingredients that are common pre-workout ingredients. We'll talk about those next week. But caffeine, 100% has a performative um, improvement of performance. So those three, again, protein powder, caffeine, and creatine. So let's talk about each of those individually. The first one is protein powder. Now, protein powder in supplement form is not a necessity. You, you can build muscle, you can lose fat, you can hit your protein goals without a protein powder. You totally can. What a protein powder does is just makes it easier and more convenient. Especially if you're trying to hit a higher protein intake, it can be hard to hit 130, 140, 150. You know, some of these like bodybuilder types or people who are trying to get really, really lean are eating 150, 160, 170 grams of protein a day. And that can be really challenging to get that much protein, especially when your carbs and fat are lower. Another aside, (laughs) 
People often think that your protein needs to be the highest when you're trying to build muscle, like when you're in a bulk, but that's actually opposite. Protein typically needs to be the highest when you're trying to get super lean. So for people who are doing like a bodybuilding competition where they're trying to, you know, females are trying to get 14, 13, 12% body fat, which is very, very, very lean. That is when their protein intake needs to be the highest. And the reason is, is because as you get leaner and leaner and leaner, your body starts turning to muscle for fuel, right? You don't have a lot of fat left on your body. And so your body starts turning to muscle for fuel. And so in order to stave off that muscle wasting, we're trying, we increase our protein intake really high to hopefully stave off and give our body um, access to the amino acids without burning through our muscle. So protein intake is actually typically highest on someone who's in a cut, who is very lean, trying to get even leaner. That's when, that's when you see women who are like getting ready for competition, like a bodybuilding competition, and they're eating 150, 160, 170 grams of protein, and they're eating like 40 fat. It's really hard to only eat 40 fat and eat 170 grams of protein without a good protein powder. And so protein powder just, it makes it easier. It makes it more convenient. I love to drink protein powder just post-workout. It's just like an easy way for me to get, you know, my 20 grams of protein in post-workout. I don't have to eat anything. I I can mix it in the car on the way home. It just makes it super convenient. Um, I'll drink a protein shake, you know, during the day when I'm on calls. And again, it's, it's not necessarily better than eating some chicken, but it definitely is easier and more convenient for me than sometimes having to make another protein source. So definitely don't have to have a protein powder, but a good protein powder can make it a lot easier to be able to hit your protein goals. So if you're someone who finds it challenging to hit that protein goal, you're counting macros or you're trying to build muscle, trying to lose fat, and you're struggling to hit that protein goal, a protein, a good protein powder can make it a lot easier. And like I said before, I recommend Legion protein powders. I have yet to find a a flavor that I don't like. They uh, are delicious. And so for me, I, if I'm trying to watch my calories, I'll just mix it with water. If I have some extra calories, I like to do half and half water and milk. And if you want like really creamy and really delicious, just doing all milk and plus protein powder is... It's like, it's delicious. And they have a ton of flavors that are just killer and to die for. So that is my spiel on protein powder. If you like to have something fast and easy and convenient, protein powder can be that. And Legion's protein powder is bar none. Fantastic. Okay. So the second one is caffeine. So caffeine, again, research, well-supported Caffeine is a performance enhancer. It helps you, and we know this, I don't know, if you've ever worked out with caffeine on board, it helps you to push harder. It helps you to eke out a couple more reps. It helps you to run faster. It helps you to push harder. It gives you that feeling that I can go hard. And so as a performance uh, performance enhancer, caffeine is well-researched to be able to support that. So you can have caffeine in a pre-workout, right? Most pre-workouts, that's the big ingredient that people are, are taking it for is, is that caffeine. Or, you know, some people just like to drink a cup of coffee before they go uh, and work out. And that's just fine too. Like the caffeine in and of itself is what's really beneficial here. And any way that you want to get that caffeine, caffeine in pre-workout, Uh, can be performance enhancing. 
Now, we do have to talk about the fact that uh, you can build up a tolerance to caffeine, and that basically means that if you if you continue to use caffeine, your body will react less and less and less to it over time. And so a good idea with your caffeine intake is to cycle it, meaning to use it for a period of time and then take a, a week to, you know, week or two to stop using caffeine, rebuild up your tolerance to caffeine. And then you'll find when you come back to it, that it will work a little bit better because your body just gets used to that, which you continue to, to feed to it. And so it is a good idea if you're doing pre-workout or if you drink a lot of coffee or caffeine to take breaks from that caffeine because you'll be able to reduce your tolerance and then it will work a lot better um, in the future. All right. And the last one of the big three is creatine. And I think creatine is one of the most mysterious ones when it comes for females, especially because a lot of people, for some reason, think creatine is a steroid. They think it's like illegal. It's something that, you know, only bodybuilders take. But again, there's a reason I'm mentioning these three, protein powder, caffeine, and creatine. These are the most well-researched supplements that you can take. And creatine is clear. It makes a difference. Specifically, creatine helps you to build muscle mass and also improve your strength. Now it can't do this in a vacuum. That's really important to understand. It's not like if you take creatine, like your muscles are just going to (laughs) grow. It's not actually how it works. But when you take creatine in conjunction with weightlifting in in conjunction with progressive overload, if you take creatine and progressive overload, you're going to build more muscle than if you just progressive overload without taking the creatine. Creatine also helps to improve your anaerobic endurance. This is really important. There's a difference between your anaerobic endurance and your aerobic endurance. So aerobic means with oxygen, anaerobic means without oxygen. So anything that we're doing that is is longer than like 90 seconds, like 90 seconds to two minutes is, is always going to be aerobic. It means the body is producing energy with the use of oxygen. And so anytime you're going for a run or you're doing any cardio class, it's always aerobic. If it's over that like two minute mark, it means your body is using oxygen to be able to produce energy. Anaerobic is in that like under two minute range. And it it means that your body is, is producing energy without oxygen. And again, it's, it's that quicker, that, that quicker firing, um, spurt of energy, not the long lasting cardio. Okay. So, so a good example is like doing a five rep max of deadlift is going to be in the anaerobic section versus going for a 400 meter run, which is going to be aerobic. So the reason I make that distinction is because creatine specifically has been shown to boost anaerobic endurance. So creatine isn't going to do anything for a marathon runner, like to be able to improve their marathon running time. It's not going to do anything if you're playing a basketball game. It's not going to do anything if you're doing soccer, like anything in that aerobic realm. It's not, that's not what it helps with, but it does help improve your anaerobic endurance. And most of weightlifting is in that anaerobic timeframe. So we know some of the benefits of creatine, but what the heck is it? Like if it's not a steroid, I'm used to it wasn't a steroid. What is it? It's actually an amino acid. 
And if you don't remember back to your high school or college chemistry class, um, I'll remind you that a protein, when we say we're eating protein, we're talking about the larger molecule. And that larger molecule is made up of smaller molecules that are called amino acids. So amino acids are the building blocks. You may remember this. Amino acids are the building blocks of protein. And they are... Think you know they help us to repair our muscles. We help us to um, repair our ligaments and our tendons. And you know we use amino acids and protein all over in our body um, to be able to help and repair cells. So creatine is a type uh, of an amino acid, and it is a natural source of energy that helps with skeletal muscle contraction. Okay, so it it creates a supply of energy in your muscles so that they can keep working. Which is why you can see that it can help increase strength and muscle because if the muscle can work longer and harder, you're going to be able to generate more muscle mass. If the muscle can work longer and harder, you're going to be able to generate more force and more strength. Um, And so creatine is in supplement form can help increase that. Now you eat creatine every single day. If you eat any meat, you are eating creatine. So we get creatine normally in our diet. So then why do we need to supplement it with it? Well, because basically there is an amount of, of creatine that our body can utilize and store. And in order to optimize and get the optimal effect, we want to keep our reserves fully loaded. It's kind of like if you have a pantry you can have a little bit of food in that pantry, or you can have that pantry fully stocked. And when you go into that pantry and you take out something, you then restock it, like your pantry stays fully stocked, and then you always have what you need. It's the same thing with creatine. Is If we're just relying on our food, we don't usually fully stock our creatine reserves. And we get the most benefits if we keep a fully stocked reserve of creatine. And so by supplementing with it daily... Five grams is usually the dose. That's the research-supported dose. So five grams daily, and this is whether or not you're working out, taking five grams daily helps keep that those reserves full. You keep your pantry full of all the creatine that you need, and then you're able to optimize the effects of creatine. So why doesn't everybody just take creatine? Well, one of the concerns that a lot of people have is they've heard that creatine increases weight gain. So let's talk about that for a minute because I want to debunk some of these myths that are surrounding and help you to make a more educated decision about whether or not you should take creatine. Creatine is stored in the muscle and it's stored alongside water. So what happens when you take creatine and it gets stored into the muscle is that it draws water into your muscle cells. So can it increase your weight because you're holding on to a little bit more water. Yes, it can. But it's really important, and I say this all the time in the podcast, so if you have hopefully listened to any of my other podcast episodes, you already already know what I'm going to say, that fat gain and weight gain are not the same thing. And so just because maybe you see a little bit of weight gain does not necessarily mean that you're gaining fat. And so yes, is there a possibility that you may see the scale go up slightly because you're putting a little bit more water into your muscle cells, perhaps, although this is not with everybody, but perhaps, but again, it's not fat gain, it's water. (laughs) And the cool thing is, is that 
when there is more water in your muscles, not only, again, do you have more access to energy for your workouts, right? So you feel stronger and you push harder and are better at your workouts. Like that's the whole point of taking creatine, but your muscles look better. So if you know anything about the bodybuilding world, bodybuilders will play around with water balance in order to make their muscles look good. So what will happen is oftentimes leading up to a competition, they'll actually dry out their body. They won't any salt and they'll like restrict their water intake for the, like the week leading up to competition. And then 24 hours before competition, they will eat all the salt. They'll drink a ton of water because what they're trying to do is to fill their muscles with water because it makes them appear more full. It makes them appear, they just look better. Your muscles look better when they have more water in them than when they are drained of all of their water. So it's always funny to me when people are like, I don't want to gain weight. I don't want to take creatine because I don't want to gain weight. And I'm like, yeah, but your muscles will look better. Your body will look better. Everything will look better. You'll perform better in the gym. You'll build more muscle. You'll have more strength. You'll have more anaerobic capacity. Like the scale may go up a pound or two and like, that's what you're concerned about. And I get it. Like, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be dismissive. I know that there are a lot of women, especially who struggle with the scale and they struggle with that relationship with the scale. It's something that hopefully if that is you that you're working through and you're getting help with, because it doesn't have to be that way. But there are so many benefits to taking creatine that having a one to two pound increase on the scale while you're taking it to gain all of those other benefits to me seems like a no-brainer. And it's for all of these reasons that I've taken creatine for years. Years and years and years and years and years and years and years. I, um, honestly, it's one of the cheapest supplements that you can buy. If you just want just creatine monohydrate, which is the form that I suggest you take, bulk supplements on Amazon is the cheapest way to get it. Um, I take my creatine in a formula called Recharge that Legion has. They have their post-workout. It's called Recharge. It has creatine in it with some other stuff. So that's where I get my creatine. And I love it. I, I think Recharge is awesome. It's a really great um, product. But if you're like, I'm on a, a budget and I want the cheapest way to be able to get creatine, bulk supplements on Amazon, you can get a whole bag of creatine for like less than 20 bucks. It'll last you months and months and months. Again, the dosage is five grams. There used to be stuff with like loading phase and then, you know, where you would like slowly increase your dosage. I'm be, if I'm being honest, I never do any of that. I never have done any of that with my clients. It's like, I start with five grams and I just take, start taking five grams. <laughs> just take five grams a day, every day. Again, you take it whether or not you're working out. So this isn't is, isn't just like a, only when you're working out, because remember what you're wanting to do is like keep that pantry fully stocked at all times. So you just take it on a consistent basis. You're keeping that amount of creatine in your body at a high level and you're gaining benefits and access to more energy inside of your muscles. That's like, it's like a freaking win-win all the way around. Now, if you're not lifting weights, this may not be a supplement that you need. <laughs> Okay. So when I say that this is like a no brainer, I'm talking about for people who are lifting weights, for people who are doing anaerobic style training. Again, if you're just a runner, not just a runner, like it's a bad thing, but if like you're running, if this is not going to do much for you because it doesn't 
help with aerobic performance. This is more in that anaerobic, that shorter time domain. And when you're really looking for pushing out those extra reps, pushing out those, that extra, that extra oomph in your lifting, creatine can be a real boon for that. So those are the big three. Those are the three that like nobody is going to argue with you on. (laughs) They're well-researched, lots of data to show that they are helpful and lots of data to show that they're safe. So again, protein powder, a good protein powder. I would say most of the people listening to this podcast episode, right? This is a self-selected bunch of people, but most people listening to this podcast episode would benefit from having a protein powder. It doesn't mean you have to take it every day, uh, but having access to an easy source of protein without carbs and fat is going to be a help to most of you. Oh, and let me answer a question that I answer all the time. People are wondering like how many scoops of protein powder can I eat a day? And really there's like from a, is it safe question that it's not unsafe if you're going to eat like multiple servings of protein powder a day. It's not, it's not going to hurt you. The concern that I always, always have if I have clients who are having lots and lots of scoops of protein powder a day is just that you're missing out on other nutrients that, and minerals and vitamins that you would be getting if you were eating other types of food. So I'm a big fan of getting a wide variety of food so that we can cover our bases with things like fiber and minerals and vitamins and you know all the other n- nutrition outside of just the macronutrients. Uh, and for that reason, I usually recommend clients do no more than two supplemental protein sources a day. So to me, this is like a protein bar and a protein shake, right? There's my two supplemental sources. I don't really want to do more than that, not because it's harmful, but because that means that I'm not eating things like chicken. That means I'm not eating other protein sources like shrimp. Um, and I'm, and I'm not getting some of those other, the other nutrition found in a wide variety of protein sources. So that's, this is literally just my rule of thumb. You can do whatever you want. Um, I'm not trying to tell you that this is the only way to do it, but that has been my rule of thumb for me is like no more than two supplemental protein sources a day because I want to get a variety of other foods in my diet and not have all of my protein come from, you know, protein supplementation. Okay. So a good protein powder, caffeine, whether you take this in the form of a pre-workout, we'll talk about other pre-workout ingredients next week because most pre-workouts, they include caffeine, but they tend to include other other products as well. So we'll talk about, you know, you could either do a a pre-workout because some of those other ingredients can be really helpful as well. Um, Or at at the very least, taking some caffeine, if you tolerate caffeine, I know not everyone tolerates caffeine very well, but if you tolerate caffeine, taking caffeine pre-workout can be very beneficial. Now, one thing I will say before you go and like completely load up on caffeine is uh, it's really good to titrate your caffeine and, and pre-workout consumption over time. So what I'll see a lot of times is people who will get like a new pre-workout or have caffeine and they'll take a bunch of it, like a full two scoops or a full serving, and they'll feel terrible. They'll completely like wig out because they way overshot how much they're used to having. So take it slow. You don't need to like have 300 milligrams of caffeine. Uh, maybe start with 100, 75 maybe, depending on your caffeine tolerance, and kind of build up from there so that you can find how much you need to be able to feel the effects, right? You want to feel a little invincible, a little bit like I, can, I have more oomph to push with. I can, I can go after that extra rep. I can do that extra set. 
yeah, that's heavy, but like I got the gumption to be able to, to pick it up. Like that's what caffeine does for you. And then the last one, of course, is creatine. If you are someone who is lifting weights, if you're trying to build muscle, if you're trying to um, build strength, again, building muscle and building strength aren't exactly the same thing. But if you're trying to do either of those, having creatine on board is going to give your skeletal muscles faster, quicker access to energy, which is going to help you to push harder, which is going to help you to get more reps, which is going to help you build more muscle, build more strength, um, have a little bit better recovery. That's another thing that that uh, creatine does um, and helps you preserve lean muscle mass and strength uh, even when you're in a caloric deficit. So creatine is just one of those things that I've been taking, I mean, literally for years and years and years and years and years. And again, sometimes people talk about cycling on and off creatine. If I'm being honest, I don't ever really cycle on and off it. I guess I do unintentionally because sometimes when I go on vacation, I don't take creatine. So I guess I do cycle on and off it that way, but I haven't been super intentional about six weeks on, one week off. I just take it all the time. Again, you're eating creatine. If you eat meat, you eat creatine. So the supplementation of creatine is just that extra little bit to make sure that those storages are all the way full so that we have are maximizing the amount that we're able to, to store and being able to use that for energy when our muscles need it. Okay. We covered a lot of things today. I wasn't planning on breaking this up into two episodes, but I think that's the wise decision because I still have a whole list of supplements that I want to talk about in the next episode. So to wrap this episode up, we talked about research. We talked about how to be a little bit more critical and analytical about the research and being able to do some research on your own about these types of things and not always just having to take an influencer's word for it. Like I never want you just to take my word for it. Go do your own research so that you can back up what I'm saying. Don't just say, oh, well, Amber said it must be true. No, <laughs> go read the research yourself to make sure that I'm representing it well to you. And then we also talked about the FDA. We talked about how supplements aren't regulated. And that's an important thing to know. We talked about labdoor.com as a place to be able to go. And you know, for any of you guys taking supplements right now, I recommend go to labdoor.com right now, enter in your supplements, enter in the brands and see what it comes up. You might be surprised in a good way, or you might be surprised in a bad way. And it can tell you kind of are the supplements that you're taking, are they being honest with you? And then we talked about the big three. We talked about creatine, we talked about caffeine, and we talked about protein powder. And those are the ones, if you're going to start with any supplements, those are the ones to start with. I also mentioned that I'm an affiliate for Legion Supplements. My code BAB, B-A-B, will save you 20% on your first order and then double points after that. If you are going to purchase from Legion, I love their protein powder. Again, I haven't been sad of any of the flavors that I've tried of their protein powder. I've used their pre-workout, which is called Pulse. That's their their, uh, pre-workout. I've used that since 2017. Used it for years and years and years. I love Pulse. It's to me... I don't like um, I don't like a crash. I don't want to have a high high and then a crash. And I feel like it's a nice gentle rise with the caffeine. Um, I actually only take half a dose. Just putting it out there. Um, but for me, it's like I like the way that I feel with their with Pulse. Taking it for years and years. And then their creatine is found in a product called Recharge, which is a post workout supplement that I take on the way home from the gym. And that contains creatine and it contains some other things that we'll talk about in the next episode. Also, don't forget, I know I talked about a lot of supplements today and I'm going to talk about a lot of supplements tomorrow or next week. And 
it's really easy to get lost with all the supplements. So what we did was we compiled everything that I've talked about into a document that makes it really easy to see which supplements I recommend, gives you links to things, which supplements are a no-go, which supplements you shouldn't take. Uh, and we've done that and put it all together in a download. So if you go to bicepsrebabies.com forward slash 285, that's the show notes for this episode, or bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash supplements. You can get that free PDF download that will kind of summarize everything from this episode and the next episode in one easy to read document. So that wraps up this episode. Join me next week. We'll be going through a whole list of other supplements. I actually put this out on my Instagram. I said, what supplements do you guys want to hear about? And you guys let me know. So we'll be talking about L-citrulline. We'll be talking about beta alanine. We'll be talking about collagen. We'll talk about BCAAs, fish oil, vitamin D, probiotics, multivitamins, magnesium, greens, fat burners, We'll talk about what you can take when you're pregnant and breastfeeding and what you should stay away from. So make sure to join me back for part two of the lowdown on supplements next week. And I'll see you then. I'm Amber. Now go out and be strong because remember my friend, you can do anything. Hey friend, have you heard the news? We have a Biceps After Babies Radio insider list. If you love Biceps After Babies Radio, you don't want to miss a thing. Head to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash insider to join the group. You'll be the first to know all things about the podcast, see some behind the scenes, and get special messages from yours truly. We want to make this a special community for those who are fans of the podcast. And last, did this episode particularly resonate with you? If so, will you please share it? Either send the link to someone who would find it valuable or take a screenshot and post it to your social media and tell your family and friends why they should listen. Make sure you tag me at Biceps After Babies so I can hear your feedback and give you a little love. And you know, if you aren't already following me on Instagram or Facebook, that's the perfect time to hit that follow button. Thank you for being here and listening to Biceps After Babies Radio.